just happened to be there. I bumped into him. He welcomed me in. Um, he helped me with my stuff out of my car. He got me into my room. Everything. I mean, what a blessing. And God was pursuing me even from that moment I saw through this guy who came to me and welcomed me in. But you want to fast forward two and a half years from there. God was pursuing me. I had grown up in a Christian home. I had grown up knowing about God, but was really in a uh, place that was very fragile. And God knew it. He was reaching out. He was grabbing for my heart. You fast forward two and a half years. I'm laying in my loft bed dormitory after a night of snorting cocaine with my friends. My heart beating out of my chest. A series of broken relationships using what, what looks, what uh, talent, <laughs> whatever emotional uh, pizzazz that I had to get in a, gr- in a series of illicit relationships with girls who were looking for the same thing. My life, my grades were in the dumps. My life was um, in a very tough spot. I, I felt like I was losing my mind and emptiness filled me without and within. You know, the question I have from that spot in the um, parking lot where God, through this sophomore named Jeff, met me. How did I get from there two and a half years later? We're going to talk about that today. How did I get to just seeking the fleeting pleasures of sin and the brokenness I found myself my junior year of college? What we're going to talk about today is the fact that God's boundaries do not restrict our pleasure and our fulfillment, but they actually ensure it. Now, it sounds kind of interesting to you there, but I want to let you know this. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not out there looking to extinguish fun from the face of the earth, to, um, to look to keep everyone back and be a policeman on, on people's fun and keeping them down to being serious and sober. That has nothing to do with God. God is the author. He is the author of true pleasure and true fulfillment. As I've said many times before, you can say it with me if you know, God is not a kill joy. He is a, he's a give joy. That's who God is. Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11, if you'll look with me here, says this. Speaking of God, the psalmist is talking. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal what? Eternal what? <laughs> eternal pleasures at your right hand. I tell you this, the devil never created anything. He's never created one thing. He can't do it. He's a created being. He's a powerful being. He's a deceptive being, but he's never created anything. All the devil can do is distort, and he can twist, and he can pervert, and he's done a good job of it. But everything that the devil offers is only a cheap imitation of the true original. It's a cheap imitation and, um, but you've got questions in your mind right now, I bet, that you're wondering. Yeah? Sure seems like he has a lot of good stuff to offer. The devil does offer pleasure, to be sure. I indulged in a lot of it. But it is temporary. It is temporary. It can last, it could last up to 80, 90 years. But it's temporary in light of eternity. And it's ultimately destructive. Some examples. If we'll look at it, we... Uh, for God in the way that He has ordained things. Let's look at the subject of alcohol. You know, where I came from in Texas, Jesus did not turn the water to wine. Jesus turned the water to grape juice. 
You cannot get drunk off of anything, you know. No, Jesus, at the wedding ceremony, turned the water to wine. God is a God of fulfillment. Now, you're saying, oh, awesome, let's go party. Having a drink can be pleasant. If you're old enough, <laughs> if you're uh, in the right state of mind, Jesus did not, as I said, change the water to grape juice. I'm not advocating drinking here. I'm just saying it can be an experience. The Psalms say wine that gladdens the heart of a man. God put it here on this earth. But getting drunk, being under the influence of alcohol, is extremely destructive in all of its forms. The devil twists, he perverts. I know for you students out here, you know, there's a lot of partying going on. There's a lot of I'm going to get drunk. Look, I mean, isn't it crazy? Oh man, I was so drunk. I don't remember anything, man. I was blasted. Well, okay. I mean, it was fun while it lasted, but the reality of the matter is alcohol is not the evil. The evil is the twister, the perverter, Satan, who will not allow us to simply enjoy. If we go his way, he will crush us with it. How about sex? Oh, got your attention there if you weren't uh, listening before. A relationship. A physical relationship within the confines of a committed marriage is a joyful and a uh, bonding and a wonderful thing. And it brings a measure of fulfillment. It is not the full fulfillment of the marriage because there are many other parts to the marriage, but it is something given by God. The devil did not create sexual pleasure. I'm telling you this now. He just can twist it. He just can pervert it. And I can guarantee you this. He has a hook in it. If you take it in his bounds and in his way to destroy your life. God has it, but the enemy has twisted it. You know, when we are using multiple people and being used for quick gratification outside of the context of a committed relationship and marriage, the evil twist tears down our souls. We may or may not recognize it, but our souls are twisted. We're unable to love and to express love and to receive love in the proper way. I got good news for you today, though. If you have, uh, have been involved in anything that's destroyed your soul, Jesus heals souls. And He'll do it today. How about relationships? Enjoying people's company is a great thing. Anybody like it? Community? Some of us are very introverted and we like it in little snatches. <laughs> Some of us are extroverted and we don't know what to do alone. But <clears throat> I was saying, well, no, I won't go there. But to have to rely on others to build up your, your self-image, to have to have other people all the time telling you how great you are, putting your whole affection in them, is not the relationship God intended. He originally intended us to get our identity from Him and to share in a mutual relationship of love and honor with one another. The, the devil is a twister. He's a twister. He does the twist. He does the twist. That's all he can do. I'm telling you right now, the outcome of this is that God wants relationship for you. He wants fulfillment for you. He wants even the pleasure of eating and drinking. Praise the Lord. But it's within boundaries that can be safely operated. God's boundaries don't restrict our true pleasure. I said that before. They don't restrict our true pleasure. They actually ensure the ultimate pleasure and fulfillment that we're really looking for. We're going to look today... Um, at, um, well, I'll make one more illustration before I go to the next part, is that pleasure is like a river, right? Uh, in Texas, where I come from, 
in the state of Texas, there, uh, are, there was a lot of flooding in the last couple of months, and things went crazy, and I saw some pictures of different rivers that had overflowed their banks. Destruction everywhere. Well, pleasure is like a river. Pleasure within the confines and the context of how God intended it, us within that realm, it can be powerful. It can be exhilarating. Anybody ever gone on a raft ride in a river? Yeah? You enjoyed that, right? Powerful, pleasurable, and, and uh, man, just mm, feeling it in the river today, especially with a little bit of heat here. Within its confines, the river's awesome. Outside of its context, outside of its boundaries, it's completely destructive. It will destroy everything in its path. God has intended us for pleasure, but He's not intended us for pleasure outside of His intention for it and His ability to give it to us. The question I would have for all of us today is do we really believe that the pleasures of God are better than any pleasure we could experience on earth? Actually, the pleasures of God are included in the things on earth within their proper way. When I say that God's boundaries don't restrict true pleasure and fulfillment, some of you may be wondering um, what I'm saying. We're going to first talk about the fact that God's boundaries do feel like restrictions to us. Or they do to the sinful human heart. God's boundaries seem really restrictive. Why can't, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, I can't. But the reality of the fact is that if we are um, given freedom. Freedom is not the same thing as what we think it is either. When we operate in the freedoms that we want with no restraint, that freedom is really not freedom. We're going to look at some of that today. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at it through one of the most well-known parables in the New Testament that Jesus spoke. The parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the son who left his father. There are uh, key figures in this parable. And you will read about them. There's the father... There's the son that is prodigal, that wants his own way. And then there's the son that stays. We'll talk about all of them today. But let's look today first in, um, uh, in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 13. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to a group of people. He says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Again, that is the third chapter of the New Testament in the Bible, Luke chapter 15, 11 through 13. The son in this parable, Jesus is expressing, saw life with his father as restrictive. He saw life with his father as something that was not Fulfilling at that time. He, would, he had eyes for something that was out there. And he demanded his inheritance immediately. That's basically him saying, I want all the pleasure I can get now. I want it now. I want my pleasure now. I want it like this. I want it how I want it. I want it when I want it. I don't want to have to wait for anything. Right? Being sensual as a person doesn't just speak of sexuality. Being sensual means we have to have our five senses uh, dazzled and frazzled. And uh, whatever other word, wazzled. We have to have our five senses going off at all times in order to, to be okay. And that's what this guy was saying. I want my pleasure now. I want it the way I want it. And I'm going to take it. And so he left his father. And he went away. And this son in this parable, he had a lust for the unfamiliar. He had a lust for the dangerous. He had a lust for the illicit pleasure. 
Boy, isn't it true how sin operates? When sin operates, I talked about drugs earlier, it's just like drugs. You try a little, and it's good. Man, it's great the first time. And then you try a little more, and it needs more, and then you need more, and then it is a full-on bondage, destructive thing. That's the way sin was. But he wanted everything now. He had a lust for the unfamiliar. You ever notice that? About, about um, anyone that's caught in something, let's say like pornography, it, it doesn't stop. The, the hunger, the satiability doesn't stop. It has to go something more perverted, something worse, something out here. Because the lust of the human heart. He had that kind of a desire to see what was out there. Outside the bounds is better, was his saying. You know, in my own life, we're going to kind of look and, at the situation in my own life. I had a distorted view of what a relationship with God was really like. As I got into college, I had grown up in a Christian home, but I had a big, uh, big head and a small heart to God. I knew all the Scriptures. I knew what people said about God, but I hadn't cultivated an actual reality of my relationship with God. You know, as I got into it, I had the idea, I'd come up with this idea, to walk with God is really boring and pleasureless. It is the pleasureless, boring existence. But to walk in my own way... There's something exciting out there for me beyond the bounds that God has. And it led me on a destructive path. I'll give you an idea of some of the things. It began in small ways. This path begins in small ways. I began to seek for pleasure of status. I I rushed to fraternity. I mean, I put all of my identity in fraternity. I would wear my Phi Delta Theta shirt, walk through campus with my hat. I think one time I did the record. You know, the hat, the shirt, the shorts, the socks. The shoes, maybe not the shoes, all fight out, you know. It was sickening, if you could be honest about it. But I had my identity in that. I thought that these guys were the coolest guys. I was with them. I had my identity. I began putting my desires in that. I used, um, as I said earlier, what looks and personality I had and whatever else I had for the physical intimacy with women. And I looked for identity and intimacy with them, you know. Oftentimes it's been said this, that women give that physical intimacy because they want love. And men tell the women that they love them because they want that physical intimacy. And it's like a destructive slam, right? The man is telling the woman, I love you, because he wants it. The woman is hearing, I love you, that's what I want to hear. Destruction. Don't you see how the devil works? Well, I was in that pattern. I was in that spiral. I began to practice the pleasure of escape. It started for me with heavy drinking. It started for going to clubs, fraternity parties on a regular basis. You know, I'd be a liar, an absolute liar, and I don't want to be that, to say that this was not a pleasurable course of action. I'm telling you, man, I had some highs. I had some experiences. I had uh, a lot. Absolutely, there was pleasure in this experience. But I was just like the young man in this story. I was distant from my home with God. And I was going about in wild living. And all the while, I had no realization in my mind that I was squandering the wealth that God had given me. I was squandering every good thing that God had intended for my life. So the first thing we look at is that um, these uh, that God's boundaries, they seem like restriction. This Young man felt restricted. He didn't want to be with his father, so he headed out. 
Well, let's continue looking at Luke 15, 14 through 16 and see that living without boundaries, though, is not really freedom. It's not freedom. After he, this young man, had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field, fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Again, as I said, it would be dishonorable and dishonest to say this young man experienced no pleasure. He experienced a lot of it. But, you know, the reality of the matter, though sin and its effects can be very pleasurable, even exhilarating. That's probably some of the issue with sin. Sometimes you can get more of an exhilaration. Why do people do drugs? They get an exhilaration. You've ever, you know, uh, different things. Why do people, uh, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, stay up all night looking at the internet at pornographic images because they get an exhilaration? But that's not what it's about. It's not about exhilaration. It's about contentment. It's about pleasure in God. And it's the way He does it. Again, it'd be dishonest. But I want to quote the, uh, uh, John Piper. A lot of you like John Piper. I'll quote it for you. John says here in his book, Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist, all the evils in the world come not because our desires for happiness are too strong, but because they are so weak that we settle for fleeting pleasures that do not satisfy our deepest souls, but in the end, destroy them. I want to talk for a moment here as we're, we're uh, talking about living without boundaries. The difference between gratification and satisfaction. Okay? Those are two different things. Say gratification. Just making sure you're with me. Satisfaction. Okay? What we're longing for is true satisfaction. But gratification, if we look at it here, uh, we have to draw a distinction between the two. God doesn't promise that we will always be gratified immediately. <laughs> That's not scriptural to say you're always going to be gratified immediately but we will ultimately have satisfaction jesus actually encourages us to deny ourselves and follow him to deny all of our um, lustful impulses that feed just us in our own way and to follow him but the reality is only those who deny themselves reach true satisfaction i can guarantee you that uh, even for the bit that I have walked it. Joe Dallas in his book, The Game Plan. Uh, you like that? <laughs> it's a book about, it's a book about uh, walking in sexual integrity. He says it this way. Gratification is the immediate and it's short-lived. Satisfaction, even when it requires gratification delay, is a long-term payoff. There's a long-term payoff when we're willing to walk with God in His way. People love the idea of freedom. And it's something we strive for. We don't want any bounds upon us these days, it seems. Um, it's something I've strived for at different times in my life. But we think freedom is the ability to make choices unencumbered by any kind of outside restriction. But that situation doesn't exist. Let me give you an example. At our own home, we are, uh, my wife and I are what you might call restrictors. Restrictors. We have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a 22-month-old, and a four-month-old. We are in the restricting business. <laughs> if you're not, you are nuts. <laughs> you have to restrict. Now, for our sons, Jude and Jake, we restrict them in different things. I, I'd be a liar to say we weren't. We go out and we say, okay, guys, you can play out 
side of our house. Our house is at the end of a, of, I guess you could call it a cul-de-sac, but it's skinnier than any cul-de-sac you ever saw. <laughs> Those of you who've been there know. But anyway, you can say, you can, you can, um, you can play and you can go up to the second house uh, and you can go up to this house and you can stay out of the streets. And um, uh, so we do definitely restrict them on that. <laughs> you know, they can't run into the street as interesting, as fun, as enjoyable as that seems. It would probably be a lot more fun for a while to have all that, you know, more place to run and experience fun stuff. But why do we restrict them from going into the street? Because at the, at the least, a broken ankle's waiting for them if something runs over them. Maybe somebody riding a bike down the street. And at worst, they could lose their lives. The restriction is a protection. I can tell you this, that God is using that uh, in a wonderful way whenever He restricts us. But we also, our restriction of our children in this case, is protecting their lives and ensuring their enjoyment. We're ensuring their enjoyment. Our boys love life. And are loving it to the full. So we see that living without boundaries is not really freedom. Let's continue on in this story. God's party, we learn, in celebra- it's called celebration without destruction. Anybody want any of that? Anybody want celebration without destruction? Anybody want a little destruction out there? Please don't. <laughs> Luke chapter 15, 17 through 24. Read this with me. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him him, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The word party is uh, an interesting word because it's a term that's loaded with meaning in our culture. We often we think about the scene that was up on the screen before I, I started preaching. Um, we think about, about things I've talked about, uh, drinking, drugs, sex, uh, just going off the boundaries. But the way that we explain God's kind of party best, as I said, is celebration without destruction. One thing I want us to look at is that the party for this young man and the party for each and every one of us really starts when we return to the Father. It starts when we return to the Father. When we come back to Him. God was not looking. I want to encourage you today, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, that God is not looking for a way to judge you. He is, he is asking you to come to Him. That's coming to Him with all of your heart. And He wants to have mercy upon you. You see how this Father was. He wasn't looking for a way. Jesus was not just talking about a simple earthly Father. He was saying, this is the heart of your Heavenly Father when you return to Him. He will lavish you with kindness that you don't deserve. He will give you everything that He has. And you could never 
Imagine how awesome it is. The true party started when this man returned to his father. The true party starts for us when, when uh, we come under the protection and under the provision of our God. When we quit living in rebellion and we quit living and we surrender our lives. In the book, The Party in God by Robert Herber, he says it this way, God's party builds you up. The world's party tears you down. God's party makes you great. The world's party throws you into the sewer. God's party gives you authority and restores your inheritance. The world's party strips you naked and humiliates you. See, there are two parties going on, but one of them is without destruction. Celebration. We talk about that. We have a God that is celebrating today. As I alluded to earlier, I finally came to my senses. It was Thanksgiving of my junior year of college, and I had uh, gone out drinking all night, and I was hung over the next morning. I didn't go home with my parents um, for the rest of the holiday, which was 90 miles away at that time. And uh, I stayed, and I had this funny thought, I'm going to call fraternity brothers and keep partying, numb my soul, because the, the process kind of goes on itself, you know. Uh, if you're, you're feeling bad, then you numb it. Then you feel bad because you felt bad, then you numb it. And uh, I went through an entire list of my fraternity brothers, and because most of them were out of town, it was Thanksgiving holiday, and whoever else wasn't had something else to do, I was faced for the first time in a long time with the reality. It was the moment then God had been preparing because so many people had been praying for me. My friends um, from, from high school, some of them, uh, my, my parents, my parents' uh, home group, small group, I came to my senses. For the first time in years, I sat on my bed and I began to call out to God in desperation. At that moment, my parents called and I unloaded my heart with them and I I let them know everything I'd been involved in. Uh, And um, it was at that moment I decided I would no longer run from the Heavenly Father. I would no longer look for the temporary pleasures of sin. I wasn't going to do it anymore. And um, I'd surrender to the loving arms of Jesus and follow Him. No matter what the cost, I determine I'm going to find my pleasure in God for the rest of my life. The last thing I want to say here, we're going to look at the second brother real quickly and then we're coming to a close, is in Luke 15, 25-31. It says this, Luke 15, 25-31. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. You know, the elder brother, you may have listened to me today and said, wow, that's a really sad story. I'm a good student. I never did anything wrong. Wow, what a mess he was. Well, I would like to inform you that you possibly have the wrong idea as well. This older brother had the wrong idea. He thought that by just not doing really bad things, he thought that was the whole key to it. 
But you know, we'll never enjoy the true party of God if we just are about keeping the rules. Keeping the rules is not the true party of God. We party with God and He empowers us to keep the rules. But we don't keep the rules in order to party with God. We have to have that vital relationship with Jesus. Many of you, I'd say most of Boston culture, is about good-looking sin flesh. (laughs) It doesn't look like what I described as me. It looks like a great student, a really successful businessman or woman, um, you know, this, that, or the other. But God is also speaking to you, the older brother, the older sister, in this story. Just as the father in this story accepted the prodigal son back, the older brother needed to see that there was so much more relationship with the father than keeping rules. Rules without celebration breeds death. It just breeds death every time. If we're a rule keeper, who did Jesus come the most harshly against? Those that were Pharisees. They kept all the rules and hatred was in their heart. They kept all the rules and they looked down on everyone else who didn't keep the rules. Do you look down on other people a lot? You may have a little bit of this that you're dealing with. Maybe you are like the older brother. You're basically a good person. You generally, you keep the rules. But maybe you lack the true joy that's found in a relationship with God, an extravagant, celebrating relationship with God. That's what I want to invite us into today. We will never stay free. I want to say this to you today. You'll never stay free of sinful desires. Let me make sure I say this right. We'll never stay free of sinful adventures unless we get caught up in the adventure of God. The, the human heart has to have an adventure. The human heart has to have something greater to live for. And we will get caught up in our own selves, in, in our own achievements, or our own sin and destructive patterns if we don't have that adventure with God. And that's what God's inviting us into. That's what He's inviting us into here in this series about the party in God. I went from a, living a wild and dangerous life to being a bold witness for Jesus. I was in a fraternity, and uh, my, my friends thought I was a nutcase. But here was the thing. For the first time in my life, I didn't care what they thought. I was living on the other side. I would share with my friends the, the, the um, pledges in my fraternity. I know you don't have uh, fraternities at BC, but there's a lot of the same elements in the different groups and the different things you're involved in. But the guys would have to come and get my signature as an active member of the fraternity. And I'd say, just put your book down. I'm not giving you my signature until I tell you what Jesus has done in my life. It was a lot of fun. I began to find the party of God in a boldness to not care. I began to find the party of God when I'd go in. We'd have like a hundred fraternity brothers. And we'd all be around. They'd go, who's got the keg party for the next party? Okay, this, that, the other. I'm like, "Um, can the chaplain give a report? And they're like, okay, Bianchi, go ahead. I'm like, I am praying out of Philippians chapter 3 that God would fill you with the knowledge of His will. Through all, you know, I'm just going on. I'm like, I'm praying for you guys. I just want you to know I, I was able to be bold and share. And, you know, not everyone came to Jesus immediately. Not everyone's going to pat you on the back for celebrating Jesus. In fact, some people will despise you for it. <laughs> but I can tell you this. Your own soul will be restored and healed and ministered to. And there are those who will follow. You students here, you students here, all of you out here, as well as the rest of us, you have a destiny in God to party with Him and to call so many more people into the party and the extravagance of a relationship with Jesus. We're going to be exploring this over the next weeks. 
we're going to be talking about what does it really mean to live in an extravagant celebration with an extravagantly celebrating God. If we could stand, I want to ask the band to come forward. We're closing up here. But I would be remiss today if I didn't invite those of you who may not know Jesus to come into the party and enjoy Him. I want you to know I'm, I'm delighted. If you're here and, and you're on a journey with God, we love having you here. We want it to be a place of safety for you to grow and to learn. But you know, here's an interesting thing. We talked about boundaries and, and the human soul, the human sinful soul doesn't really like boundaries. But God gave us a boundary for entering the party of God for all of eternity in relationship with Him. And what is that boundary? In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Paul says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is not popular with our pluralistic society. This is not popular, but Jesus Himself uh, and those who, who, who shared the good news after His resurrection said, salvation is found in no one else. I want to say that. No amount. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do enough good works. We cannot have enough religious systems or enough religious, um, religious uh, experiences or follow the religious code enough. We are restricted to depending on Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. But I can tell you this, that restriction, so to speak, that narrow road that Jesus speaks of, leads to an abundance of life that lasts for all of eternity. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived as a sinless man for 33 years. He was falsely accused and He was murdered on a cross. He was murdered on the cruel cross that was the electric chair of its day. On that cross, Jesus took the sin of the world on Himself. When I say the sin of the world, He took your sin. He took my sin. He took the sin of everyone who ever lived and everyone who would ever live. He took the punishment of it on Himself. He took the shame on Himself. He bore it. And He prepared a place in heaven for whoever would come to Him and say yes to Him in every way. If you've been on a journey and you're willing to accept that Jesus is the only way that you're willing to enter in through that narrow gate today, I want to ask you to pray with me and I want to ask you to give your life to Jesus. So I want to ask you, if you'd raise your hand, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to be honest with you. Jesus died on a cross. He died on a cross for you before the world. And I want to ask you, if you really want to commit your life to follow Jesus, to be willing to take the risk to raise your hand today and receive Him, you're going to be met with grace and met with love. Anyone out there who wants to receive Jesus today? Praise the Lord. I want to have opportunity to pray right now. And if you desire to pray this prayer, I want you to pray it with me. If you're willing to admit that you're a sinner and accept the death of Jesus as payment for your sin, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray with me. Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. That I cannot do enough work 
to earn salvation, to earn relationship with you and entrance into heaven with you for all eternity. I admit my sin, confess my sin, Jesus, and I receive what you did on the cross so that I could have life. I place my faith in you, Jesus, to be my Lord and to be my Savior for the rest of my life. Amen. For us all, C.S. Lewis says it this way. You can read this one last thing. This is the challenge for all of us here today. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I want to challenge us just with a couple of questions this week for you to consider. You may write these down today or keep them in your heart and your mind and think about them. The first one is, in what ways am I far too easily pleased with the passing things that this world has to offer? And a second question I'd ask is, am I a celebrator of God? Or am I just a keeper of the rules? And as we begin thinking through that, the greatest thing that we do is we have an advocate with the Father Jesus. We can come before God. And we are going to take a step even right now as the band plays to celebrate God with all of our hearts and enter into His party. Let's worship Him with all of our hearts today, rejoicing that He has forgiven us, that the Father has restored us and renewed us. And give our hearts to Him.